The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. All right, y'all ready to start a new book? Man, look at this packed house. Y'all, there are lots of seats up front. There's a few seats up front. There's about eight right here. And uh, yes, children, you can go back to your classrooms now. Uh, if you were waiting for that moment, I always forget to announce that. They know better than to wait on me. All right, so if there's more people out there, you can tell them to come in here. Or we also have the annex going on at the same time as this service, which has room for about 25 to 50 people in there. Uh, each week we try to provide that during this hour. Well, it's great to see everybody here. Excited to start a new study in the book of Joshua. I kind of kept forgetting to announce what we had decided to study every, with all the holiday stuff going on. So guess what? It's Joshua. I know you've been reading and preparing, uh, but I forgot to tell you that's what it was. Uh, but we are in Joshua, and uh, I hope that what you find in this study, uh, of a, a, it's a historical book of, of events that took place about 3,500 years ago. And I know many of you are going, boy, that sounds exciting. And uh, what I hope you will learn today is how that actually relates is vitally important and extremely relevant to your current life, to the battles that you face, the battle of faithfulness that we face in every day of our life. But also something that I think is a wonderful byproduct of studying a historical book of the Bible is that you will see that your, your very personal, spiritual uh, relationship with the Lord is actually rooted and grounded in real historical fact. Uh, when you read the Bible, you will see that there is a real God who created and who entered into this earth and guides and directs history. And that he is guiding and directing history. And there was a real people who fleshed out a lot of what we think of in terms of spiritual terms. We see a very physical manifestation of many of the spiritual realities that we think about. And so I want, in an age where religion and, uh, is very mysterious and very experiential, it's very helpful for us to realize that our faith is grounded and rooted in objective truth in history. And so we hope you'll see that in this study. And so what, what we know is that God has been interacting with his people all throughout history, and he has recorded that history for us in scriptures. But when we read scriptures, we're reading a theological commentary on history. It tells us how to interpret history as God intended it to be purposed and intended to be understood. And so the story of the Bible is the story of God delivering on his promises. And so what we see God's plan, God's history has been geared towards and directed towards the, the faithfulness of God, God faithfully accomplishing his promises. Now, when we see these promises, we see them in the Bible. We think of them in terms of heaven, eternal life. Uh, we know that the Bible teaches us there will be a new heavens and a new earth when Christ returns and gathers his people on a new heavens and a new earth. Our physical bodies will be restored. Praise God. I thank him for that every day that I get older. Uh, we, we know that he will restore all relationships with one another as the, we are restored into perfect relationship with him. We see that all the effects of sin on, on his environment, on creation will be fixed, will be restored. And so we know that as 
what God has promised us as his children through faith in Jesus Christ. We know there are physical, real physical promises that we await. But we also know there are spiritual promises that we currently begin to enjoy now as Jesus began to enact the kingdom of God. We know that we are told that we can have joy because of our salvation in the Lord. We know that we have peace in the midst of turbulence because we know we are at peace with God and he brings peace in our lives. We know that we, in First John, studied about assurance, that God wants us to have assurance and confidence that he will deliver on his promises. And so there's two aspects to the promises of God that we in 2017 sit and think about our spiritual life. We know that God has promised many physical blessings in in the day that he returns. But we also know there are many current spiritual blessings that we already have been promised to enjoy, such as victory over sin in our life, that we are not enslaved to the power of sin any longer because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so... There are many great promises of God that we cling to day in and day out. And what we see in the Bible is those promises, those, that great salvation and all the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ are, are promises that then elicit faithfulness from us. As we see God in his faithfulness and we rejoice over the great blessings of salvation and all the inheritances that are ours in Christ, it elicits a loyalty from us. It elicits a faithfulness from us. And so as we face 2017 and we've got all of our New Year's resolutions that are good and helpful and practical, there's one overarching term that we should have as our commitment that's faithfulness. But if you're like me, you know, faithfulness is a battle. It's a battle to be faithful. It's not easy. We don't just wake up every day and just coast into faithfulness. It's a battle to be faithful. As we will see in these scriptures that God calls his people to faithfulness because God is absolutely faithful. And so I pray that as we study this ancient record of ancient history from 3,500 years ago, that we will see how incredibly relevant this book is because our prayer is that the study of Joshua will equip you for this battle of faithfulness that you face and that I face every single day of our life. Today we begin our study in Joshua and our aim for this message is that you will, through this study, be equipped for faithfulness, that you will understand the big story of the book of Joshua, how it fits into the story of the Bible, and perhaps most importantly, how does it relate to your personal battle of faithfulness that you face when you walk out of this room today? Father God, we ask for your help this morning. Help us understand how to fight the battle of faithfulness. Help us understand how to be faithful. Lord God, give us wisdom. Make us strong and courageous. Equip us for the battle that you've called us to through the proclamation and study and meditation on your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to take three passages out of Joshua. And my desire is that you'll see the context, the message, and also how it connects to you and your story today in 2017. Let's begin with verses 1 through 3. In chapter 1, the book begins 
Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses. So immediately we see Israel is in a battle of faithfulness. We're going to see immediately at the very beginning of the book. They know all that God has been doing. They know all that God has promised. They know it's all there. It's right in their grips. And then they look and there is a flowing river. And God says cross the river. And therein lies the battle of faithfulness. That we all face Every day. So what do we, how do we make sense of this ancient historical book? How does it apply to our life? Well, first of all, let's gain the context, the literary context. This book picks up right where Deuteronomy left off. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the first five books of your Bible. If you could take those out and put a leather binding around it, that's the first Bible. That's the Israel's Bible. That's the Bible that they had. It's referred to as the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law, the book of Moses. This is the first Bible that God's people had. And it ended in Deuteronomy. And then it picks up where Deuteronomy left off. The book of Joshua picks up right where it left off. So to understand where we are in the story, let's review. And these are very important reviews because it helps us gain God's perspective Help us gain wisdom for how to interpret Joshua for our lives today. And so in Genesis, the book of your Bible, it starts with an introduction to who God is. It's not trying to answer every question about scientific questions about creation. It is an introduction to the main character of the book. God. Who is he? He's creator. What did he do? He promised to restore Humanity to his glorious rest in his presence on a earth, on a land that he promised to restore. And he is the one who created humanity. He created the land. He has the right to give the land to who he wants to give it to because he owns it all. And so it's an introduction to God. And as I've already alluded to, we see as the scene unfolds that God is the creator. And he is presented as the one who knows, who sees what is good. When you read the creation account, it says God created. He spoke into existence his creation and he saw and he declared it was good. The creator and only the creator is the one who sees and declares what is good for humanity. And so he is presented as the one who has all divine wisdom. And humanity's desperate need is that the creator would reveal just a bit of his wisdom to them. And that's exactly what he does. He takes his pinnacle creation, Adam and Eve, humanity, and it says he nestles them into the garden. And that's a key word. He put them into the garden is how it says in your English translation. But there's two words for put. One is simply put it on the table. The other one is to nestle carefully He nestled them carefully into the garden and gave them rest that they may focus simply on one thing. And that is enjoying him, resting in him, trusting only in him. Because you see what happened next in the story. God gives them his wisdom. 
God reveals his will to them. God gives them his word. And he says, do and don't. He says, do, enjoy all of my great blessings. Enjoy all the blessings of being in a relationship with me, being intimate with me. Enjoy all the blessings that come with resting in my presence. But don't go outside of my wisdom. Don't think that you know what's best. Don't think that there is a greater plan Trust me, don't, what was the forbidden fruit? Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't seek to obtain wisdom outside of me. Rest in me. And so the idyllic scene, this paradise that we know God is restoring, is a scene where God's people are in his presence, resting in his glorious rest. And it displays his glory And they get all the benefits. Now, this glorious rest needs to be understood. This is not a physical rest simply where we're just kicking back, sleeping, and being lazy all day. That's not the eternity we look for. What we see in the garden, God's ideal, is a rest. It's a Sabbath rest. It's a rest where the people of God are resting in God's wisdom, resting in God's faithfulness. And that's the key to our faithfulness is to the extent that we rest in the faithfulness of God, we will trust and obey God. We will be faithful. That's the simplest definition of faithfulness is trusting and obeying God. And that's the key that part of what Joshua does in the story of the Bible is it's a key instrument in helping us understand the faithfulness of God. And as we See, revealed the faithfulness of God, our proper loyal response is faithfulness in return. And so when we come to the book of of Genesis, we see God's promised after they sinned, they tragically ate of the forbidden fruit. They went outside God's will. As a result, everything God said would happen. He said, if you obey, these are the blessings you'll enjoy. But if you disobey, this is the curse you will experience. It's all, both are the same promises from God. It's very clear, objective truth. Obey, enjoy the blessings I have already given you in covenant relationship with me. Disobey, and you experience the curse. They disobeyed. They failed to rest in the faithfulness of God. And so they went outside of his wisdom. And as a result, they were exiled from the garden. They were removed from that glorious promised rest that comes only in a trusting relationship with the Lord. And so as that happens, we are left as readers to say, wonder what's going to happen next. And what do we see? We see a picture of God's grace. God pursues them and makes a glorious promise. God promises to redeem his people from the curse of sin and to restore them to his glorious rest. And that massive universal promise comes into focus onto one particular man and his family. That man is Abraham. So God enters into a covenant with Abraham and he makes him a promise. And there's three key promises in that covenant with Abraham that fall under this glorious plan of restoration and redemption. And he promises three things to Abraham, seed, land, and blessing. He says, your seed will be a mighty nation of people and they will live in this land that I have set apart from you. And through them, through your seed, they will be blessed and all the nations will be blessed. 
And so we see God's promised restoration and redemption of his people involving a seed of Abraham, land, and the blessings of God being restored among his people, even on all of the earth. And so in this Abrahamic covenant, God makes clear, watch this family. Salvation and blessing are aligned with Abraham and the God of Abraham. And so God begins in the book of Exodus to fulfill his promises, that seed of a man and a woman who were very old, 90 and 100 years old, and were barren, had not been able to have children. God blessed them with the miracle child, and they had children upon children, and this promise was carried from one generation, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel's children became known as the children of Israel's from the seed of Abraham. And so this mighty nation, of people, God's already beginning to fulfill his promise where he said, your seed will be a mighty nation as numerous as the stars. But they're living enslaved in Egypt. They're not in that promised land as God promised. And so the question is, will God be faithful? This Pharaoh, this ruler, this wicked enemy of God has has risen in the storyline and he is enslaving the people of God. Is there any hope? And so what does God do? in honor of his promises that he made, because he is faithful to his covenant promises, he raises up a deliverer, a ruler, a a prophet, and his name is Moses. And it's just image after image coming up off the page. But Moses is, is is raised up by God to be God's leader of God's people, to be God's mouthpiece, the word of God to God's people, to be God's ruler among his people for this time and place. And so he is God's deliverer. He leads Israel through miracle after miracle that God did. So what's clear is it is God behind his leader doing these miracles. As long as he followed God's plan, God miraculously intervenes. He parts the Red Seas through plague after plague. He gets Pharaoh to relent and the people of God are saved out of their bondage to cross the Red Sea. And at the foot of the mountain, what's the first scene after this scene of salvation? What does God do for them? He gives them his word. He reveals his will to them. Once again, he says, this is my wisdom for your life. Do this and experience the blessings of resting in the glorious God who is faithful. Don't do this and I promise you will experiences, you'll experience the curse of removing yourself from the blessings of God. It comes first in the Ten Commandments as general principles, how to relate to God, how to relate to one another. And then you see massive amounts of material about God's will for them on how they should live until you see Hopefully, they will finally trust and obey God. They will heed his word and experience the blessings and walk in the path of blessings. And and then they get to the edge of the promised land where they're becoming a nation, a people with laws. And God is trying to establish among them a theocracy where God is reigning and ruling among his people in their land. And they get to the edge of the land. The promise is yet to be fulfilled with such expectation. And so Moses gathers 12 of them, probably representing one of each of the 12 tribes of Israel and he sends them into the land and they come back and they give a report. Can we take God's promised land? Can we see God's inheritance become ours? 
And 10 of the spies say, no, they're too big and too numerous. The challenges are too hard. The battle is too costly. But there's two. Two spies say, yes, we can, because God has promised us. One of those spies was Joshua. Another was Caleb. And so Joshua is pictured as a faithful follower, assistant to Moses. Moses is God's chosen leader. And you see this one become the assistant to Moses where it says the spirit of God was on him. And so it's a precursor to our book in Joshua. And so what happens because of this majority report that says we can't do it? Well, tragically, the people of God listened to the majority and did not trust God and did not enter into their glorious promised inheritance. And as a result... They wandered in the desert for 40 years so that all that generation that was adults at that time passed away until those children raised up to be the the next generation of God's people. A new start, a fresh start. And so they are on the edge of the promised land. And as you read that first Bible that they had in their hands that was bound up for them and handed to them, and Moses says, this is the word of God. Now, as you, the second generation, enter into this promised land. This is Deuteronomy. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. It means the second law. It's where he's repeating all of it once again. He's saying, listen, learn from the lessons of your generation before you. Learn from their mistakes. See the stories of God's faithfulness. Trust God and walk into this promised land for it is yours because he has promised it to you. And then we get to our text today where the writer says to us, Moses is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Notice the first person to speak in this book is the Lord. Now, therefore, arise and cross this Jordan. The battle begins. Really? I mean, isn't there a place where it's dried up? I know you're calling us to be faithful, I know you dried up the Red Sea, but I didn't, I don't remember that. I just heard that from my parents. I don't remember what you parted. Wasn't that just myth? So immediately they're faced with this tremendous battle of faithfulness. You and all this people cross, go into the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads. I have given it to you, just as I said to Moses. So this book of Joshua is an inspired, theological, historical record of the battle of faithfulness for God's people to enter into their promised inheritance. How did God do? How did they do? Did they take the land? Were they faithful? This brings us to Joshua 21, 43. Now, if you hadn't read the story, this is your spoiler alert. Put your earplugs in. I'm about to tell you how it ends. These verses tell us how the story goes. Is God faithful? Was Israel faithful? Did they take this land that their forefathers failed to take? Joshua 21, verse 43. A summary of it tells us, So the Lord gave 
Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they possessed it and they lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest. There's that idea. The Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. They all came to pass. Praise God. So at one level, the message of Joshua is that God is faithful to his promises. No matter what river you see raging in front of you that you believe God has called you to to cross that river, God is faithful to his promises. No matter how large or vast the enemy and the team, the, the, the army before you that just seems impossible to conquer, the message of Joshua is God is faithful to his promises. At one level, the message of Joshua is very clear. God keeps his promises. He is faithful and true. You can rest in the promises of God. At this point, you think, well, then, so the story ended. So Israel took the land. And God brought back a restoration. So what happened? Where do I fit in the story? All of us sitting here today, where do I fit in this picture and these promises of restoration? How do we get from they taking the land to where we are now waiting for Jesus to come back? I mean, in that kind of Old Testament, now we're in New Testament, and I don't even get what the Old Testament's all about. No, it's one cohesive story. And that's what brings us to the next section. Joshua 21:43. Wait, where is it? 23:15. Joshua 23:15. There's a, a foreshadowing in the book of Joshua to let you know as the reader. Doesn't quite work out. Here's what he says in 2315 It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Why would why would why would the Lord kicked them off the good land that he promised them and gave them that they finally entered into. Verse 16. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods, and you bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. So in this frightening verse of reality we see a foreshadowing of what eventually happens and is recorded in the rest of your books of your Bible. Israel ultimately proves unfaithful. They fail to teach the next generation and the generation after them about the faithfulness of God, about the graciousness of God, about who He is as the one true 
creator, God, who alone deserves worship and glory in your life, about his word and how the key to life is in prosperity and faith is faithfulness to the word of God, that he has revealed his wisdom to us and that we should carefully meditate on this book and study it and live it and breathe it and teach our kids so that the next generation and the next generation enjoys the blessings of God. They failed to do it. And so the gods of the land around them, they started worshiping those gods. The gods of their own invention, they started worshiping. They started intermingling with other gods. And God's word is true. And he promised them blessings and curses. And just as the blessings come with obedience of trusting and obeying in him, you can count on it, the curses are true as well. And so the people are exiled out of the land once again. And so you see in the garden with sin, they forfeit the glorious rest in the presence of God. In the new land, the promised land, they are exiled away from the glorious presence and the place of rest with God. And so for 70 years, they're outside of their promised land in Babylon and the prophets are coming and warning, repent, repent, repent. And they hold out a little glimmer of hope that one day there will be a seed of Abraham who will bring about a redemption and a restoration of God's people. And they return to the promised land after 70 years of exile. And there's such expectation. Yes, finally, this restoration, we're going to get it right. But when you read, you see the the restoration pales in comparison. There is no restoration of the former glory once enjoyed in the promised land. And so as the Old Testament in your Bible comes to a conclusion, there's this longing. And this is when... The Bible, your Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible was put together. This is very helpful to know. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible was put together during this time after the exile, after the return. And they are depressed because they're looking around and they're saying, this was supposed to be our great restoration. Will God fulfill his promises? Where is this Messiah? Where is this King of David that he promised who would come and reign and rule over his people, who would unite us under his word, under his will, that we might be once again his people in his land, restored to his glorious rest. Where is this one like Moses? And the Old Testament closes. And you as readers see The Bible has made it clear. Your Old Testament makes it clear. We are to be looking for this Messiah, the Hebrew word, this Christ, the Greek word, who is a seed of Abraham. He's a seed of the woman back in Genesis 3. He's a seed of Abraham. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king like Moses. He's a leader of God's people like Joshua. He's the son of King David who will be a ruler over his people. It will be an eternal ruler over an eternal kingdom. And then you get to Matthew 1.1, the genealogy of Jesus. He is the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. Put your faith, your hope, your trust, your allegiance in Jesus. And so we read Joshua through that lens 
Jesus is the interpretive key to the Bible. Jesus is the lens we look back when we look at Joshua. Joshua's not the hero. God's the hero. Joshua points us to Jesus because we need a leader like Joshua. We need, in fact, the name Joshua is the Hebrew name Yahweh saves. In Greek, the same name is Jesus. Yahweh saves. And so everything about this book is pointing us to put our faith in Jesus. Jesus, all the promises are, yes, in Jesus. In fact, Jesus turns the whole Bible that you have into a book of wisdom. God hands us this book and says, This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. For then, for you shall meditate on it day and night. And you shall be very careful to do all that is written in it. For then you shall be successful. Then you shall be prosperous. And so we take the Bible as the wisdom of God revealed to humanity that shows us how that we should live. It shows us wisdom about who God is. And we see it's grounded in real historical objective truth that a God delivered his people through real waters and did miracles that defied science. And that same God could do it for you as you face the crossing of Red Seas or Jordan Rivers, as you face armies that are impenetrable in your life, as you face addictions, as you face depression, as you face relational conflict, as you face battles that you say, I can't do it. Joshua says, yes, you can. Joshua, the battle of faithfulness. It's all about Jesus. And so as we read this book, we see so many theological truths about the character of God who is faithful. When we see the army of the Lord, we see the, uh, the, the commander of the Lord's armies showing up on the scene. That's God, the invisible army fighting for his people, the invisible warrior fighting for his people. Jesus is the invisible warrior who gives you victory over enslavement to sin. Jesus is the leader of God's people who leads you into the promised land. As we await that day that he returns, we know all the promises are yes in Jesus. In the midst of battle, when you want to give up, Jesus will keep you strong and faithful. Week in and week out, each and every day, we are faced with the same choice that Joshua challenged Israel with. In Joshua 24, 15, he says, You must choose for yourselves today whom will you serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our prayer is that the preaching of this book, the study of the study guide, and we've tweaked the study guide. We're trying to make it more useful. We're constantly striving to get you in the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, then you don't get the message of the Word of God. The whole point, we're going to see it again next week. This is the wisdom of God for the battle of faithfulness. If you are not in this book then you should learn the lessons of the book. It is foolishness to seek any wisdom apart from what God has made available to us.
So we're, we've bought little study guides out here that it, you, if you don't have the money, then just pick one up. You can pay for them at cost. There's a recommended price out there. Just get the book. If you don't get one, go online and get one. It's on Joshua. You'll see it out there. The study guides that we produce each week are going to be leaning heavily on that. They're also going to have questions. They're going to be very similar. The point is we are trying to give you a guide to get you, to draw you into this book. We're trying to get you material to draw you into studying what God has provided for you that you desperately need for this battle that you are in. But it takes work. I just had to explain all that for you to understand how in the world does Joshua have anything to do with my struggle that I face tomorrow? It takes study, but it's worth it. Every year I struggle with this question. It's just my thorn in the flesh, as Josh talked about last week. My thorn in the flesh is, what am I doing here? Am I doing anything of any value? Am I still supposed to be here? And the one resounding repetition that comes back is if you do nothing else, get my people in my word. So if you do nothing else this week, this year, if you get into the word of God, Praise the Lord. So as you get through this study, as you get in your community group and you talk about it and you struggle to understand it, I promise you, God's word is true. He is faithful to be with you, to fight your battles of faithfulness every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word, your glory, the history of your glory and your faithfulness. We thank you for helping us understand where we fit in the story that we know that we are just like everyone who's gone before us. We fail. We are sinners. But we thank you that Jesus delivers us from our enslavement to sin by his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. We thank you that he is our hope, our restoration, our redemption. He redeems us from the curse of our sin and he guarantees us by the sealing of his Holy Spirit that we will persevere to the end and we will enter into that glorious inheritance that you have promised us through Jesus. We thank you that you are working in history throughout time to bring about this glorious redemption and restoration. We thank you that there will come a day when we who are in Christ by faith that we will see the full and final deliverance of your inheritance that that Christ will reign supremely the word of God reigning and ruling over your people. And that we will have renewed bodies and a new heavens and a new earth. And we will live in this land bringing great glory and honor to you, our God, our creator, as we rest in your faithfulness. In the meantime, Lord, it is a battle to be faithful. We face many obstacles. We face armies that seem impenetrable. We face rivers that just seem there's no way we can cross. 
You ask us to do things at times that seem there's just impossible, Lord, and we need to know that you are faithful. Lord, for every follower of Jesus Christ, may we be bold and courageous as a result of our time in this word. May we be strong. May we know the God we serve is faithful and that it may take extraordinary battle and and sacrifice on our part. But you are always there fighting for us and making us successful in that battle. Lord, for those who don't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray this morning they will see the God of the universe has been made available to them through faith in Jesus Christ. May they trust solely in Jesus and his blood for the forgiveness of their sins and walk a new life as a child of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.